Hey, this is Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And we have once again a absolutely uh, fantastic uh, uh, guest on to talk to today, uh, Morgan Tweet, who is wearing many hats, such as uh, bird dog and all things need to be done in IND Hemp in Fort Benton, Montana as well as stepping up as the, uh, uh, is it executive director? Is that the right way we're calling that? For the Hemp Feed Coalition. So Morgan, you've been on before. Uh, Thank you for joining us again and giving us a good update on the Hemp Feed Coalition and what all's going on in your world. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Appreciate the opportunity and look forward to chatting. Absolutely, we're tickled to death to have you. We always are, are glad to have have uh, folks of your caliber um, be able to join us. So we we enjoy um, talking about a little bit of background, but also telling us about your, your help aha moment and just how in the world did you know a nice guy like you get into a game like this? And where all did that where all did that come from? And what happened to that? So. Living in Montana right now, but but um, uh, you're originally from Colorado, right? Yeah, I was I was born in Pennsylvania, but I claim Colorado because that's all I remember. So, um, but yeah, I I love that everyone in our industry gets to have a story before hemp. I mean, I think that's such a thing that everyone had a previous life, <laughs> and then something happened. And we t- took a crazy pill or something, and we decided we wanted to go on this journey. So I think it's just really special about our industry and what I um I agree. I like to to poke people's mind about that of, you know, what did you do before this? Um and so real quick about me, like I said, I grew up in Colorado and went to school at the University of Missouri and got my degree in chemical engineering and got a a, a job right out of school for ADM, um, big ag manufacturing company. And I moved to Illinois, um, did a lot of corn and soy processing and you know, worked my way up in that business and learning the ropes of, you know, from production engineer and, um, you know, supervisor work and then, you know, project engineering at the end there. And so really got a good exposure to big agriculture and, um, and really just, you know, food manufacturing in general as well. And I'm super like grateful for that experience. And it really, you know, cut my teeth well in the industry and exposed me to a lot of stuff. And on that journey, um, you know, my dad, who has a background in environmental work and um, was looking at hemp as a phytoremediation opportunity um, and planting it on a, a brownfield site that he was working on up in Northeast Montana. Um, while I was still at ADM, he, you know, really jumped on the hemp train and thought that there was something going on there. And for a while, I was always like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're the crazy hemp guy and didn't really give him any, any uh, time. But, you know, things in our life changed. I, I lost my mom in a car accident and, and um, our world kind of turned upside down. And I took some time off work and we started a nonprofit and um, that's up in Wolf Point, Montana. And so we recruit teachers to come and work on the reservation. Um, We have a couple of housing opportunities and really encourage, you know, a Christian community living situation and people that are really passionate about making a difference. And so I shamelessly have to give a plug for our our ministry. Don't don't shamelessly do it. It's (laughs) it's, uh, full disclosure. I've had a little bit of help uh, along the way to try to help connect y'all with some grants and things like that that have gone on. So uh, plug, plug the uh, uh, nonprofit real quick. So we make well, sure we're not going to find 
Yeah, it's called Tikkun Olam Ministries, which Tikkun Olam is the Hebrew phrase for to repair the world. And so you can find out um, a little bit more about that ministry at repairourworld.org. You know, like I said, we are a Christian organization, um, but it's just really special because like we have a heart for for the school and the teachers and the students. My mom was a teacher in that district. And so it's a great way for my family to you know continue on her legacy while at the same time, you know, bringing people who are equally finding passion and um, wanting to make a difference on the reservation. So if your listeners have never been to um, Native American Reservation, I'd really encourage them to, you know, dig into it a little bit. There's really some some sad stories and just some um, hard conditions that those kids are having to grow up in. And so anything we can do to help, I'd really encourage your listeners to think about that. But um, it was on that time when I was, you know, really trying to work on our nonprofit and uh, living out of a van down by the river. <laughs> and I like to tell people I was at a very vulnerable spot in my career because I wasn't making any money. And it turns out you need that to survive. So my dad was like, I think, I think we uh, can do this. There's a, there's a business opportunity here. And I was like, well, I'll, I don't know anything about him, but I could probably build you a facility and so that's what we did. We um, we bought some equipment and we set up roots here in Fort Benton, Montana. And um, we started with an oilseed processing facility for food grade products. And then quickly realized that there is, you know, a, an issue with our farmers with this residual stock material that's left in their field. There really was a nuisance and, and a problem for them. And at the same time, there was, you know, a lot of interest from uh, a lot of different sectors evaluating hemp as a fiber material as well in, in the natural fiber space. So we kind of doubled down and, and really said, hey, we're in this for the long haul and, um, and invested some pretty big capital from our family and um, built our, our fiber facility. So now we have a campus of both oilseed and fiber processing. And, um, you know, I live here in Fort Bend and I'm our chief operating officer and Really, my job, like you said, I have a lot of hats just um, making sure things are moving along. But we've recruited a really amazing team. Um, we started off as, you know, three people back in 2018, and now we're up to over 35 people in 2022. Um, and like I said, just an amazing staff that has been very supportive. And we all wear a lot of hats. We all have our hair on fire, you know, 90% of the time. Um, but I think we've made really big strides in a little about in a little amount of time. And um, we're excited to share with people what's going on in Fort Benton. So, absolutely, absolutely, and it's. Uh, um, I have said this uh, in front of the IMD hip team, and I said it behind your back. Okay, which is um, really, if it hadn't been for folks like y'all stepping up, writing the checks, saying we're in and we're all in, and y'all have always been so open for those, even people who might potentially be competitors. To be able to say, come learn. Let's all learn this together. There are a whole lot of things that we don't know. We are uh, all trying to figure this out together. You're not going to get to figure it out in a silo. So it's luck arms. Let's find a way to work together and and, and move the industry forward. So yeah. y'all get big, fat, smiley faces from me, and I know from a lot of other folks too. So hooray for that. But yeah. but part of that then is where you kind of started to learn and think more about the opportunity for help for uh, uh, animal food, right? And and it was kind of in some of that vein, then uh, uh, several folks uh, got together to start to think about, hey, we really need to start doing something, you know, to try to get these uh, hemp approved there and, uh, for, for feed, which dubbed into the, or moved into the uh, uh, hemp feed coalition. So tell us more about 
kind of how that happened. And, but then let's get into talking about specifically what the what the hemp feed coalition is all about. Yeah. So um, many of your listeners may know, but uh, you know, part of the what's right now kind of the the standard processing for um, hemp seed products. You know, either you're crushing it for oil and the protein or you're dehauling it for the hearts and the hulls. And in both instances, you have a considerable amount of co-product, um, whether that be the protein or the hulls, that isn't exactly an easy, um, an easy product to market in the human consumption space. And so, you know, we learned pretty quickly after we fired up our oilseed facility um, that the sales just weren't really, you know, they weren't thriving in those spaces. And there was a lot of product development that had to go around that. And and from my time when I worked with ADM, like I knew that there's a massive amount of business opportunity in the animal feed sector. And, you know, by volume, probably that's one of the biggest products that, you know, companies like ADM and Cargill is selling into animal feed and, and any commodity, you look at corn or soy or um, any of these big commodities that are staples in the United States. And there is an animal feed um, section of, of their processing that's going there. And so I knew really early on that you know we, if, if we're going to see this flourish and grow to any sort of scale, we have to have animal feed as an option. And so, you know, we were, my dad was the president for HFC for several years and we've been in it from the beginning. And, um, you know, just my personality, when, when I know something needs to get done, I kind of throw my weight behind it. And um, so not, not by choice necessarily, but found myself, um, you know, kind of in a leadership position at HFC and really, you know, my passion to get these applications across and to educate people and to influence policy has like kept me going um, because it, it is important. And so I always tell people, if you don't think animal feed is, is your problem, just wait. Cause it is, cause anyone who's in our industry, if you're not thinking about it, and considering that that it does affect your business in one way or another, um, you're going to find out that it does. So whether that's driving the prices down of the commodities so that you can be more competitive against the global market, whether that's creating you know um, you know valuable specifications and nutritional opportunities that you can create more value in your own market, you know animal feed does does influence those things. So. You know, I, I believe HFC, unfortunately, the reality of our industry is there's still a lot of drama, right? There's a lot of associations sure. and there's people. And I, I try really hard to stay out of it because that's not a good use of my time, nor do I feel like it's a good use of anyone's time, but it is a reality. And so I've thrown, IND Hemp has thrown our way behind HFC because it's one mission and it's hard to get confused. It's hard to, you know, be combative about one mission because I feel like we can all row in the same direction when there's only one place to row. And, and that is getting animal feed approved. And so that's really why we've focused a lot here. Um, you know, there is unfortunately still some, some significant um, regulatory hurdles that we have to overcome and we have to strategically align research to, um, you know, partner with these applications. And so that we're going after low hanging fruit, that we're using our resources, you know, um, well, that when we get these grants or when we get, you know, the federal government to finally say, okay, we'll, we'll give you a, um, you know, such a budget for research and things like that. We need to use them well and wisely so that this process that is, you know, likely going to take you know, many years and many millions of dollars, we use it well so that the industry can capitalize on it as we continue to get applications approved. So for those of us that might not be as familiar, uh, <clears throat> what are we talking about for feed? We're talking about feeding help uh, 
as processed or whichever way we'll just say, you know, and just make it a broader brush. Feeding that to an animal that we as humans might turn back around and eat ourselves, right? So. Well, actually, it's, it's any animal, right? There's that yeah. little bit of a confusion that like if it's okay, I can feed it to my dog, but I can't feed it to a pig because I'm making bacon out of that. Right. But actually your your feed regulators, they regulate anything that goes into animal feed. So companion animals included. Um, and that is something different that Canada has been able to open. Um, they have been able to open the door for companion animals in the equine market, which I think is a really good strategy that um, we're trying to work on here as well. But you know the feedback that we've gotten, um, just unfortunately, our industry there's still a lack of knowledge and understanding um, between yeah. cannabinoid and floral hemp and grain and fiber hemp, and and this conflation of these ingredients has put grain ingredients under a um, you know burdensome scrutiny that I don't believe is warranted. You know they really are evaluating these feed ingredients like they would a, a medicated drug, right? When you hear people talking about CBD products, you know, they're saying, hey, this is, is this a drug? Is it medication? You know, FDA is looking at like, you know, dragging their feet on the, on the human food side. Well, it's equally just as confusing on the animal food side. So FDA has a, a section, you know, a, a, a cohort, you know, a center of uh, CBM, which is Center of Veterinary Medicine, and they do the evaluation of these applications. So um, AFO, which the Association of American Feed Control Officials, um, they are the ones who basically have this, this book of approved ingredients and they evaluate these applications. Um, and so like your feed mills or your companies that are making these products for animals, they it's like the Bible to them. If your ingredients in the book, great, let's do business. If it's not in the book, tough luck. See you next time. But AFCO is saying, let me pause you right there so, so we don't get too much alphabet soup to, to make people like me but a little slow um, missing. So <clears throat> what we're talking about is officially the CBM, right, the Center for Veterinary Medicine that lives underneath the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, they have the uh, official technical thumbs up, thumbs down to approve or to not approve whether that whether whether we can actually put hip feed into the um, uh, for animals companions, meaning my fluffy kitty cat or my you know cow in the backyard, okay, whichever one it may be. So either one of that, and so then in addition to their thumbs up, thumbs down approval, in the same way that FDA would approve a drug, right, which is another whole division, right? But I mean, but, but then there, so CBM would do that. Then AFCO is kind of the association of the humans that work at different states, Department of Agriculture or, or feed licensing, or those who look over that. That is a group that is not government, but it is a coalition of the willing of those people who are, are in each of those states. They then put together and say, in addition to what CBM says, We've got our own rules and regs, or we only implement or recommend the things that CBM approves. Yeah, that's okay. a good question to, to clarify. So what I like to say is like AFCO are like your, your police officers that are like actually out there, right? Or they're the, the people that have come together. Um, they don't necessarily make law or like make recommendations because they don't have like the, the technical experts. They don't have like the toxicologists and veterinarians that FDA CBM has. And so 
but they 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 govern it, right? They're the ones that implement policy. So FDA CBM reviews an application and they say, yep, this is good to go. It's an approved ingredient. AFCO takes that recommendation from FDA CBM and then they implement it into the states. And so many of your AFCO members are your state regulators. And so every state Department of Agriculture has somebody on their staff that regulates animal feed. Sometimes it's called a feed official. Sometimes it's your state chemist, but there's someone that is designated that like they're looking so that like part of their job and their staff is they'll go out to, you know, they'll pull a product off of the shelf or they'll go and do an inspection at a feed meal. And they're going to look at your label and you're going to say, hey, it's 30% protein. Well, they'll actually take a sample of your product. They'll run it at the lab. And if it's not actually 30% protein, they're going to send you a notice. And so they're the people boots on the ground that are implementing and, you know, regulating what's happening in your state. But that's a lot of work to do. And, and like I said, what they're experts at is, is you know, making state policy actually you know, make it work in, in real life. But they're right. looking to FDA CBM to give us the, the recommendations to really be the experts of evaluating this. And they're looking at safety and efficacy. So they want to say, hey, as an ingredient, is it safe? Right? Did the animal die? Or were there any adverse effects? And then B, did it do what you said it was going to do? Because, you know, I can, like our hemp seed meal um, application was a protein supplement. So I said, you know, we're using it as in a meal, as in a full feed ration, you will use a portion of your feed ration with hemp seed meal to increase your protein content. And so they're saying, okay, did it actually perform like you said it did? Did it, or or similarly like hemp seed oil, you know, providing an energy um, because it's a fat, right? That has caloric value. Did it provide energy where you needed it to? So those are the two big questions when they evaluate an application they're looking for. Gotcha. And so the process then is any human or group of humans or whomever <laughs> might be able, uh, they can make an application to the FDA's CVM to say we have this particular product uh, and we want to get it approved for use in this particular animal, right? It's not just a broad brush, hey, let's all eat some hip seed or hip cake or, you know, it's got to be specifically for that critter, for that particular use and and not be, it's not, it ain't a two-page application, right? I mean, it's a ton of data but you got to get all of that put together and essentially kind of make your case on why you think that it should be approved. Is that right? Yeah, that's a really good clarification point is um, I wish that I was like, hey, I want I want him to be approved for animals. Right. Like that's a pretty general statement. And I think yeah. that we can get behind that. But they're way they want they, they peel that onion back 15 times. Right. So it's not just hemp, it has to be a specific ingredient. So like the hemp seed, it's not just hemp seed, it's hemp seed cake or hemp seed meal, which is a derivative of the hemp seed product. And then they also don't say, hey, I just want to approve hemp seed meal for animals. They want you to be very specific. So like in our application, you know, it was, it was hemp seed meal for laying hens. It wasn't just chickens or poultry in general, it was for laying hens because in that application, we had to do research on the eggs, right? The, the human byproduct that, or the animal byproduct that was for human consumption. So broilers, totally different study, totally different application. And, and the number I tell people is like, it's roughly $250,000 per application, 
right? Because you're probably 150 plus, maybe 200 in just the research alone. Because they, you know, we're talking 16 plus week studies with multiple animals. You have a usually a control group. You'll have, you know, um, increments of feed. And so like these are very expensive studies. And then you have to pay um, for the consultant or for the experts, right? Because I'm not a toxicologist. I'm not a veterinarian. We do have them on the coalition, but like really we need, we need to hire someone to evaluate the study and help us prepare the application. So when we put it in front of FDA CBM, this thing is like crystal clear, answers all of their questions. Well, you know, this was our first application that we did about a year and a half ago. And we've definitely learned a lot, you know, because it is, it's very much how you present the information. Um, and, and they are pretty, uh, pretty particular on the data as well, which, you know, not knowing this, like I said, all of us are new to it. So we're, we're trying to learn. Um, they, they have very, very um, strict guidelines on how those applications are submitted. Sure. And, and you probably have also got to make sure you figure out some kind of a way that, that the data you're sending them is coming from a trusted source that has done this type of thing before. Because if I just said, Hey, look, Morgan and I went out last Thursday afternoon and we fed us a bunch of chickens and we watched them for a month and none of them died. I guess it's okay. I mean, it's slightly facetious, right? But I mean, you got to make sure that these are people that that have the kind of the third party verification that, that are doing the work. And, and it's got to be well received by the folks who are at CBM. They got to make sure that, that they're not looking at each other and going, Gee whiz, did you care? I can't believe they brought, you know, this tag team, rag team group of people in here telling us this is going to work. There's no way it's going to work. You got to kind of understand that as well, too. And that's kind of the art of it, not just the science of it. Yeah, and that's why, like, you know, it's kind of a fine line where we're walking there because um, I want to push the regulators to move, right? I want I want to push them because they have been they've been slow to respond. They have given us unclear directions. Um, and, or, or I would say there's improvement to be made in the clarity of their directions. Um, and so I want to push, but I also have to work with them. So I personally hundred percent agree with the process that like, we should, we should study this. We should know what's going on. Um, uh, especially when it comes to cannabinoids because cannabinoids are new, right? Like they, sure. they have the naturally occurring cannabinoids. Yes. They were there when we grew him, you know, hundred years ago. But when we're talking about these concentrated, you know, distillates and, and these very um, specialized cannabinoids, that's that's very new to the animal diet, and we should we should study that. We should know what's going on because I don't want to kill someone's dog. I don't, you know, I don't want that to happen to our industry. But on the flip side of that, you know, the hemp grain ingredient is not new; it has been around. And and when you look at the rest of the world, it it has maintained production and has been used as a valuable feed source for many years. Um, and so, you know, really this process, like I argue that there should be a consideration for hemp grain ingredients to be grandfathered in just like other, you know, well-known commodities, right? So cornmeal or soybean meal or any of these other, they didn't have to go through this because when, when FDA set up this, you know, this process back in the fifties, you know, that was already a well-established market and, and, you know, farmers and ranchers were dependent on those things. And so they didn't say, Hey, hold up. We need to do a whole bunch of analysis and figure out if it's actually safe. They said, hey, it's people are using it. It's generally recognized as safe. Like they just got grandfathered in. Well, I would argue that hemp grain should have been given the same latitude 
because it was used. Unfortunately, you know, we were in prohibition at that time. Um, but when you look historically back, you know, we see we see um, like poultry feed uh, labels that had hemp seed meal and hemp seeds in them. You look to Western Europe and, and Eastern Europe, especially, they're still using hemp seed as a, a very nutritious feed ingredient over there. So I wish that, you know, there was a way we could push for them to be a little bit more realistic with these things, because I, I truly believe that the hemp grain ingredients have been receiving undue burdensome evaluations. That's not fair to the industry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, I, I hear you. Do you know, and this, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, this is without me doing my, my homework. Do you know the last uh, feed stock like this that got approved uh, by them and what that was and what kind of, um, is it anything comparable to something new on the market, which we know is not new? I'm air quoting for those who can't see it. But I mean, um, uh, what do you have any idea what that was? Yeah, and that, that's a good point. I don't know spe- like specifically which was the last one, but there are feed applications every year. Like right now, there's one in for like black larva or something. There's like a, a bug that is being gr- ground up and used for animal feed as a protein wow. source. Okay. Um, camelina is another one. It's an oilseed crop that we have here in Montana, and they similarly were trying to go through a process of getting camelina meal approved. So. The process and the struggles and hurdles we see is not, you know, special to hemp. I do believe that there are certain things that like the questions that they've been asked and the research that they're demanding. I do think that is special to hemp. And and it's back to my point that they still consider this more of a medicated feed than they do just a typical, um, you know, dietary feed. Um, And so that's a struggle. But I would say, you know, if you talk to other feed associations across the country, you know, that you would hear an, an echo against other ingredients. Um, we actually just had um, uh, Representative Baird in Indiana. He just, you know, posted something last week. We put it on our website, um, pushing some policy to, to try to get FDA CBM um, more money, but with the caveat that like they need to move a little quicker, right? Like you can't be holding this stuff up. The amount of money, you know, the billions of dollars that are being, um, you know, missed opportunities for U.S. companies because we don't have access to those feed markets is astronomical. And, you know, we talk about always encouraging administrations, you know, to trying to keep jobs and keep opportunities here in the U.S. I mean, this is, it's a no brainer, but, you know, that's, that's, so it's not just hemp. Like I I do know that, um, but it's frustrating. No doubt. No doubt. Well, um, so, so what are the next steps right now? So right now you've got the laying hens application that is in the mix and you're responding back to um, CBM's uh, uh, questions and, and why it certainly isn't moving as quickly as any of us need it to. Uh, uh, will you wait until you get that one done before you start fundraising and moving on kind of the next uh, application? No, you know, um, we had a couple studies that were funded uh, in the last couple of years for ruminants. We've got um, large and small ruminant studies that have been um, completed and are working on publications. And so, you know, we've got those kind of in the pipeline that we can get an application for. And we're really trying to fundraise to get um, an equine study going because there's a really big market for that. And we've heard a lot of our coalition members, you know, really echoing and, and cheering for a, a, a hemp seed oil study for equine. Um, so we're looking for for partners with that. Like I said, it's a big number we need to raise. And so we try to find really strategic partners, companies that understand the value, that see the opportunity, 
um, to get behind us and help support that as well. But even, you know, even just your listeners, um, they're interested in supporting it, you know, becoming a member, getting on our newsletter list. We are building a database that um, we're going to have exclusively for our members. So that'll have data from like all the COAs that we've collected so that we can have, you know, a, um, a really strong platform of of, of nutri- uh, excuse me, ingredient identities. I've been working on that. We also are going to have um, research research kind of pulled together and have a really robust bibliography. So we're working on that. So our members have you know access to that. It's a kind of a secure line for them. Um, and 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 donating is always something we need, right? We're all volunteers here. We don't have um, paid staffers on. Uh, on the payroll and we're all just trying to do our best, but really the, the funds need to go to that research. And so we've got targeted universities that already have the principal investigators kind of lined out and have been doing the methods and protocols that they want for these studies that um, end of the day, we need time and we need money. So. Right, right. Time and money seems to solve so many issues. Right. Isn't that funny how that works? So, all right, tell us more about it. And we are glad and, Pleased and proud to say at the National Hemp Growers Cooperative that we are our members of the Hemp Feed Coalition. We think there's a, a lot of value to that. Uh, give us the contact information so people can find you and so that people can find more about the coalition. Sign up, pay up, join up, uh, and, and help move this thing forward. Yeah, I think it's um, pretty easy. It's just hempfeedcoalition.org. Um, and you can and check us out there. There's a, a drop down about, you know, get involved, donate, you know, sign up for our newsletter. Um, we are going through some some updates in our website. And like I said, getting that, that kind of uh, member only access. Um, hopefully that'll roll out in the next couple of months. So we are trying to do uh, more so our, our members feel that they have more value by being part of the coalition. Um, cause it's one, like how many newsletters have we all signed up for? Right. Sure. Um, but what I, what I like to tell people is like, I've had more productive conversations on our work group meetings and, um, you, especially with regulators and applications to like really get down to the meat of it and to be able to network with other people that, um, you know, across the country that have similar issues or ideas, you know, I've met some really great uh, veterinarians and, you know, feed researchers and um, other things that have made me more intelligent and more knowledgeable about the space. So just that alone, I think, has a lot of value that coalition members can um, be a part of. Well, we're certainly glad you're no longer living in the van down by the river. <laughs> are, are here helping to work on hard this. Uh, Morgan Tweet, Executive Director of the Hemp Feed Coalition, hat number one. COO of uh, IND Hemp, hat number two, uh, and all around the great human, uh, hat number four, five, six, and seven. So we're so glad that you are a part of the industry and all that you that you do uh, and that uh, uh, the leadership that you're providing. Thank you for that. I hope folks will reach out, uh, join up at the very least, go check out the website, get on the newsletter so you can uh, email list and you can learn more about what they're doing. Hope you uh, reached out into your pocketbook and and uh, uh, help uh, the cause out here a little bit by donating about what's going on with the Hemp Feed Coalition. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. If folks want to know more about what we do at the National Hemp Growers Co-op to learn about how we are focused on building wealth for our members through regenerative agriculture and sustainable development. 
you can go check us out on our website at nationalhealthcoop.us. So until next time, thanks for your time. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.